we really made progress. And then, of course, he said, while there's nothing really wrong with having these meetings and conferences, uh, we're sinful if they are the substitute for the real service and doing the real thing. If we're to use God's mirror properly, then we must glaze into it, graze into it carefully and with serious intent. In the 25th verse, no quick glances will do. We must examine our own hearts and lives in the weight of God's word. Of course, this requires some time, some attention, and sincere devotion to it uh, each day. Uh, five minutes with God each day has never accomplished a deep spiritual examination. Uh, he talked about he'd had two doctors, great doctors in his life that, uh, he, that worked with him. He said each of them possessed two great qualities that he appreciated. They both spent time with me and, and, and not, did not seem to be in a hurry, and they always told me the truth, uh, which is a great thing. When Jesus, the great physician, examines us, he uses his word, he wants us to give him sufficient time to do the job well. Perhaps one reason we glance to the word instead of glancing the word instead of gazing to the word is that we are afraid of what we might see. We might see that mm, I'm a little bit short over here. Maybe I need to work on that. Well, maybe I don't want to work on that. You know, the word says I need to though. After seeing ourselves, we must remember that uh, what we are and what God says, and we must do the word. The blessing comes from the doing, not in reading of the word. The man that is blessed in his doing, 125 is a little translation. We emphasize in James on the, oh, on the practice of the word. We are to continue after reading the word. Uh, there are many examples of this, of course. Uh, uh, Acts 125 talked about in part of the ministry apostles from which the... Uh, they can, uh, well, 142, excuse me. 242, they, uh, they continued and steadfastly in the doctrines, teaching and doctrine, and, and in prayer. And, of course, several others in James 2 where people continued in the Word of God. Uh, it wasn't in the, necessarily all in the, in the printed form like we have right now. Uh, why does James call the Word of God the perfect law of liberty? Because when we obey it, God sets us free. The, and, I, and, I, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts, Psalms 119.42. Uh, Whosoever committed, committed sin is a servant of sin, John 8.35. If you continue my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In John 8.31 and 32. Here again, we look at what freedom really is. A lot of people think freedom is to do my own thing any way I can get away with it. But they become a bond of bondage to Satan. People say, well, I don't want to be restricted by, by God's commandments. God's commandments are not grievous. Therefore, our betterment. It's the devil that's selling us the bill of goods saying, oh, you need to sin. It's a lot of fun having sin over here. And then when you sow those sinful seed, when you sow that one sinful seed like you sow a one seed for an ear of corn, how many uh, different kernels of corn do you get when that plant comes up? You wouldn't get just one kernel of corn. You'd get a whole ear of corn. Maybe two, maybe three, maybe even four ears of corn on a plant. Whereas that one little seed has produced a lot. We sow for the devil. Guess what we will reap? We'll sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Uh, that's what the word tells us there. Uh, but examination is but one ministry of the word, mirror of the word. The other, uh, there's a second ministry, and this is restoration. Uh, when he built the tabernacle, Moses took the metal looking glasses of the uh, women and made them a, a lavender. 
The labyrinth was a huge basin which stood between the brazen uh, altar of sacrifice and the holy place. Of course, the basin was filled with water, and the priests, of course, were required ceremoniously to wash their hands and feet uh, before they entered in, into the uh, holy place to minister. Uh, washing, uh, water for washing is a picture of the Word of God and its cleansing power. Now you are, not, you are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you, John fifteen three. The church is sanctified and cleansed with the washing of water by the Word. And our, when the sinner obeys Christ, he is once and, and for all washed clean, if, of course, if he continues to be in the light of God. If we walk in the light as he in the light, the blood of Christ continuously cleanses us from all sin. Uh, and we, of course, like one person said, we try to get out of the sinning business. We may fall back, but we are not trying to go toward the devil. We're trying to go toward what the Word of God tells us. But as a believer walks in the world, his hands and feet are defiled, and he, he does need cleansing. We need to continuous watch ourselves. Uh, the mirror of the Word not only examines us and reveals our sins, it helps us cleanse us as well. It gives us the promise of cleansing, and we meditate upon it and cleanse our heart and mind from, its spirit, from spiritual defilement. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses the guilt that the water of the Word helps to wash away the defilement. Through His Word, through the obedience of our, ourselves to the that we have that blood of Christ that can continuously wash us from sin. Uh, he gives example again, of course, Nathan experienced with David in 2 Samuel illustrated the point. Of course, he's told about the stone you limb. David came angry, and then David, Nathan said, Thou art the man. And when uh, they held up the mirror of the word of, the, of God to David to see that, and he said, The result was confession. and said, I have sinned against the Lord. And, of course, the mirror of the God did uh, he didn't say, I'd, I'd sinned against Uriah, or I'd sinned against it. He said, I have sinned against the word of God. And of course, we talked about last week how that David had been told he, did, he could have had all these other things. He was given uh, all these other blessings that he didn't have to go after uh, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, but he did. And uh, of course, but he repented of that. Uh, but Nathan did not stop there. He also used the word of restoration. The Lord has also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Now, David did not die, but he did suffer the consequences of his sin. But what happened to the child that was born uh, of Bathsheba and David, the first one? He died, didn't he? You know, he got sick. And David was fasting, prostrating himself, pleading with God, uh, you know, evidently great anguish and pain, pleading with God to spare the child's life. And uh, the child died, I've forgotten after how many days, several days, and uh, David's servants were looking around at each other and thinking, oh boy, I mean, he's done put on, as we say, done cut up this mustered up this bad when the child's sick what is he going to be like when the child passes away and David kind of looked around and saw him whispering at each other looking and he said well, how's the child and they said he's dead and David got up from the ground went and washed himself and went down to the temple to worship and the servant asked him why, why, why do you do this I mean they expected great lamentation and David said while the child lived, I thought maybe God would be merciful and spare the child. But now the child is gone. 
He cannot come to me, but I can go to him. That was that man after God's own heart. That was a man after God's own heart. Uh, certainly, the devil will get his due sometimes when we uh, do bad things, but of course, there is forgiveness, but there are consequences of sin. I think I told you before one time that in our prison ministry, one of uh, the inmates once said to me, well, we can choose our sin, but we can't choose the consequences. How true that is. You know, we might think that this is just going to be a little thing, but how do we know what little thing may escalate? How many little small disagreements escalated into something real bad? Feelings hurt. People never speaking to each other again. And of course, in the wrong place in the wrong time, uh, the hearse comes around and picks somebody up because they were at the wrong place at the wrong time and did the wrong thing and said the wrong thing to the wrong person. So let's not be one of those people. If we stop with examination and restoration, we will fail to will miss the full benefit of the mere ministry of the word. That, and this is the third ministry, and that's transformation. Uh, after the Lord restores, he wants us to change us so that we will grow in grace and not commit that sin again. He always wants, always wants us to continuously be growing uh, in the word. Too many Christians confess their sins and claim forgiveness, but never grow spiritually to conquer self and sin. Second uh, Corinthians 3 is a discussion of the contrast between the old covenant ministry of the law and the new covenant ministry of grace. The law, of course, was external, written on tables of stone. But salvation uh, means that God's word is written on our heart. The old covenant ministry condemned and killed, but the new covenant ministry brings forgiveness and life. The glory of the law gradually disappeared, but the glory of Christ's grace, God's grace became brighter and brighter. The law was temporary, but the new covenant of grace is eternal and still for us today. Uh, you may examine 2 Corinthians 3.18 in this way. When a child of God looks into the word of God, the glass, the mirror, uh, he sees the Son of God, and he's transformed by the Spirit of God to share in that glory of God. We see Christ reflected in that. The word changed in the Greek gives us our English word metamorphosis. Of course, I think you all remember this from biology. Uh, it's the change outside, uh, in, change on the outside that comes from the inside. When an ugly worm forms a cocoon, a cocoon and then, of course, it uh, sits in there as that ugly-looking uh, worm. We've seen these uh, uh, mammoth bullify worms, ugly-looking green caterpillars. But they'll hang themselves upside down and have this cute little cocoon. cocoon. Next thing you know, out runs this beautiful golden black butterfly, you know, a, a total change. Uh, when a believer spends uh, time looking to the Word and seeing Christ, he is transformed. The glory on the inside is revealed on the outside. Uh, in this Word, it is trans, uh, translated transfigured, transfigured in Matthew 7, 17, 2. The glory of Christ on the mount was not reflected. It was radiated from within. You will find the same Word in Romans 12, 2, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we meditate on the Word, the Spirit renews the mind and reveals the glory of God. We do not become spiritual Christians overnight. It's a process. The work of the Spirit of God through the mirror of the Word of God, it takes time. Uh, the scripture that though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Certainly this is a thought we need to do and, and, and grow us uh, from spiritual babes uh, into mature Christians. Uh, 
fact, I think it was Paul once was talking, condemning, saying, you know, I, I fed you with milk, and, but you are ready to need to grow up to eat meat. You, you're, you know, get past the first things and go into higher spiritual things right here. Uh, the important thing is that we don't hide nothing. Take off the veil. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my, and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Psalms 139. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth that's not in us. John 1, 8. So we must realize we all sin uh, and fall short of the glory of God. But we have the blessing of looking at the word and finding out and, and overcoming that sin. Our first response is to receive the word. Then we must practice the word, observe. We, otherwise, we're deceiving ourselves. This leads to the third responsibility of sharing the word. Uh, the word translated religion means the outward practice, the service of a God. It is used only five times in the entire New Testament uh, where it's translated worshiping. Pure religion has nothing to do with uh, ceremonies, temples, or special days. Pure religion means practicing God's word and sharing with others through speech, service, and separation from the world. Uh, of course, speech is one of the things we've talked about. There are many references to speech in this letter giving the impression that the tongue is a serious problem in the assembly and everywhere else. It gets us into a lot of uh, trouble. Uh, it is the tongue that reveals the heart. Uh, you know, Peter, and of course, reveals a lot of not only heart, but reveals out. Sometimes, where are you from? We hear somebody's various uh, accents and say, well, oh, he's from England, or he's maybe from uh, a Spanish place. Uh, Remember Peter uh, at the trial of Jesus, one of the servant girls says, well, you were one of them, you were a Galilean, for your speech deceives you. Evidently, the Galileans had a separate little uh, enunciation of words that was different from the people in that area of Jerusalem right there. It is the tongue reveals the heart. If the heart is right, the speech will be right. The controlled tongue means a controlled body. And, of course, later on in James, is going to talk about how the tongue is a little thing that boasts of great things and the ship is steered by just a helmsman with a small rudder right there. The second thing he talks about there is service. Uh, after we've seen ourselves in Christ in the mirror of his word, we must see others in their needs. Isaiah first saw the Lord, then himself, and then the people to whom he would minister. Words are no substitute for deeds of love. John does not want us to pay uh, Pray for, pay for others to minister as a substitute for our own personal service. Uh, we're certainly to be involved in service. We do what we can do. It may not be that we can travel to be a missionary, but we can certainly support a missionary. We can send letters of encouragement to a missionary. We can maybe fix up things that'll help. There are other things that the neighbor next door may be in need of something that we as a Christian can help out and show what, how God really works in us, service through him. He then talks about separation from the world. By the world, James means society without God. Satan is a prince of the world, uh, this world, John 14, 30, and the lost are the children of the world. As the children of God, we're in the world physically, but not in the world spiritually. We are sent into the world to win others to Christ. Uh, it is only as we maintain our separation from the world that we can serve others. Uh, Brother Scott Lockwood did a tremendous lesson, I think, two Wednesday nights ago about being separate from the world. And I would advise you, if you missed it, to go on the 
a website or whatever online and get with Freddie and listen to that lesson. Uh, we are to be separate and shining lights to the world. We're not to look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, and, and, and be those things. People to see Christ in our lives. The world wants to spot the Christian and start to defile him. Why do they want to do that? Why does the devil aim in on Christians? I've been in Robert Allen's classes before. Why does he zoom in on Christians? He's already got everybody else. He can concentrate on getting us. Uh, We're to fight against him. Uh, First, there's friendship with the world, James 4.4, which can lead to love for the world. And if we're not careful, we'll become conformed to this world, Romans 12, 1 through 2. And as a result, of being condemned with the world. Uh, we can certainly let things of the world hinder our Christianity. Uh, I recall the parable of the sower. And, uh, of course, you remember that. The seed was thrown out on various types of ground. Some people say it's the parable of the soils. The rocky ground didn't do anything. It's, it didn't even spring up or it sprung up. It died the shallow ground. It sprung up real quick, and then there was no bedrock, no water possibly there. It just sun came out and withered. And then some fell upon some ground that was pretty good ground. It sprung up, but the weeds sprung up around it and then choked it out. And, of course, then there was a word that fell uh, in good soil and brought forth 30, 60, and 100 fold, I think it said. Uh, I think we as Christians have to worry about the next to last scenario. We may be growing, but then the world is starting to choke us out. We're just sitting there conf- confronted with weeds, and we're getting too involved in so many different things. I'm involved. I'm doing this. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. Where does the wor- work for the Lord come in? Where does the worship for the Lord come in? It kind of gets shoved to the side. I think as Christians, this is the one thing we really have to watch out for. I know I always have to examine myself and say, now, do I need to really do this? Is that going to overcommit me to do something that I don't need to do? We've got we to gotta look at that. Uh, Lot is an illustration of this principle. Uh, first, he pitched his tent towards Sodom and then, uh, and then moved into Sodom. Before long, Sodom had moved into him and he lost his influence even among his own family. Of course, we know that. The story, of course, Lot and Abraham had great herds. God had blessed them tremendously, Lot being Abraham's nephew. And Abraham, you know, they were, the herdsmen were striving at each other, I guess arguing over wells or over grazing. And Abraham said, you know, let there be no argument among us, for we be brethren, uh, diplomatically. Then he says, uh, you know, choose you which way you want to go, Lot. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go this way, I'll go that way. And what did he say Lot did? He looked out across the fertile Jordan Valley, didn't he? Ooh, that's good flat land with a big river down through the middle of it, and plenty of water and plenty of glass and Man, I won't get foot sore walking up and down the hills on the other side of it. This is just great. But Sodom and Gomorrah were also down there. Now, maybe he could have stayed in that valley away from them, but he didn't. He moved down there amongst the evil people. I think Peter says they vexed his soul daily because of their evilness. And here again, when when it all came to the end, uh, basically the only people left were uh, Lot and his two daughters. Uh, and and so he had really lost everything he had, all the abundance and everything else he'd been blessed with. Uh, It was Abraham, the separated believer, the friend of God, 
who had a greater ministry to the people than did Lot, the friend of the world. It's not necessary for the Christians to get involved with the world, to have a ministry to the world. Jesus was unspotted, 1 Peter 1, 19, and yet he was a friend of publicans and sinners. Uh, and, of course, many times people marvel that he was, say, talking to uh, the publicans and sinners. But they were listening to his words. They were not rejecting him. Uh, the best way to minister to the needs of the world is to be pure from the defilement of the world. Uh, people will see a difference in us. Uh, now, the author that, uh, from the book that John has taken these lessons from uh, sometimes kind of adds a lot of stuff in and sometimes I think sees these start out. And, and our verses here, the, the final part, if you remember correctly, uh, when it says that pure religion undefiled from God, the Father is this, the Fifth is the Father, and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. He didn't mention anything about the fatherless or the widows. Are the fatherless and the widows important in the eyes of God? Sure is, isn't it? Uh, I pulled up the Cruz's Concordance uh, last night or whenever, and I, I said, well, how many times is fatherless and widows mentioned in the Bible? Uh, fatherless is mentioned like 37 times and widows like 47 times. And most of them in, are indicating that, you know, people were either doing bad things to the followers and widows, and God is saying, I will not hold you blameless when you do these things, when you rob widows, when you take advantage of, of the fatherless. Uh, it's certainly a thing we need to well be aware of, those that could not defend themselves. What did uh, Christ do? The, the widow of name, what, what was that situation there? Remember when uh, Jesus was going toward that city? Great funeral procession coming out. And what, who, was, who was dead? The, the son of a widow. In other words, this was, there wasn't no social security and no other government programs to send you a little money each month back then. Uh, when a widow, when a per, lady ended up being a widow, if she didn't have some real close relatives that could take her in, uh, it was, it was going to be a tough road to hope every way around. And Christ stopped the briar or the funeral, stopped the funeral procession because he said he had pity on her. And he healed her son. And he was restored to life. And I think that example shows us that we all should be aware of those that cannot help themselves. Um, and, of course, later on, Paul addresses taking care of widows and of course, he gives a sequence of doing it, not the young widows that could remarry, uh, but the widows that the family will not take care of, the church was to take, help take care of there. Uh, any other comments or questions about this lesson? Uh, here again, I wish he had mentioned more about fathers and widows, but I think that, that thought is for, to keep us uh, in line there uh, about caring for others that cannot help themselves. Uh, we'll get started... Uh, what time does the bell ring? 20 till or quarter till? Okay, I'll, we'll get started in lesson number five, but I think John will probably review this to be sure. Uh, this continuing on uh, in James, uh, the second chapter, verses 1 through 13. And so uh, let's read on through that, and that might take us to our time right there, and you can be thinking about it for next week's lesson. It begins, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God, Lord of glory, respect to persons. 
For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring or goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him? Do ye have despised the poor? Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin and are convicted, convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offendeth in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now if thou commit not adultery, yet thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, so that they shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, he that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. The author here said not only is a mature Christian patient in testing, uh, but he also practices the truth. This is the theme of James 2. Immature people talk about their beliefs, but the mature person lives his faith. Hearing God's word and talking about God's worth can never substitute for God's word. He continues on, James wanted to help us practice God's word as he gave us a simple test. He sent two visitors into church, a rich man and a poor man, and he watched how they treated. Of course, we can gather probably the rich man dressed up real good, a gold ring on his hand, and this, uh, remember the parable of the prodigal son that when the son came back, he said, put a robe on him and put a ring on his finger. This was a great honor thing, and they had uh, evidently great uh, ideas that if you wore a gold ring, you were you were really something else. This was an important thing to have. Uh, the way we behave toward people indicates what we really believe about God. We cannot and dare not separate human relationship with divine fellowship. If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. But he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And in this section, James examined four basic Christian doctrines in the light of the way we treat other people. And uh, because it's so close to our time, I'm going to stop right there and let John pick up here uh, this next week. I appreciate your attention uh, and me hanging, hanging there with me even through my cold here today. <laughs>